Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. Hey, so we've got an incredibly exciting, amazing guest in the podcast this week. Many of you have already guessed who it is based on some hints I dropped last week by email. So well done. And I'll introduce him in just a moment, but he's Grammy nominated. All right. He's an old friend. He's also one of the finest songwriters in Nashville. And part of what is so cool about today's conversation, and again, just sort of sit on the edge of your seat for a moment longer before I tell you who it is, is we dive pretty deeply into prayer. All right. And the reason that is so amazing, providential, unexpected, and not even planned is that Thursday night's live stream, the Let Beauty Speak retreat that we've been doing every Thursday now for about a month is also focused on prayer. All right, we didn't plan that. It just worked out that way. It's amazing to sometimes just see those threads come together. And right now, I'm sure all of us are looking for every opportunity to identify threads for our lives to come together right now because many of us, well, we're still a bit bored, if not anxious in quarantine, right? We're wondering when life is gonna, in some way, start to feel normal again. And the only way that I've been able to keep peace and to really stay creative and, and, and stimulated and, and frankly joyful over the last two months has been my life of prayer. So it is in fact principle number five in what we call the art of being human, but without even meaning to, we jump into it today with the man, the myth, the legend, Grammy-nominated Matt Marr. That's right, Matt Marr, someone I had the privilege of doing tour management for when I was in college, who has since exploded onto the scene, specifically the Christian music scene, and gone on to write some of the, the most anthemic songs for the church across the world. So I'm really excited to sit down with Matt. All of this conversation took place over Skype and the video that goes alongside it for our patrons, believe it or not, is just a screen share of our entire conversation over Skype. Really, really fun and really, really cool to just see that conversation unfold. For those of you who aren't yet patrons, just know that that's a part of the premium content that we send out to our patrons every week. I really do hope you guys are doing well. We'll be back in just a moment with Matt Marr. Well, Matt, I must say, I'd much rather have you in the studio, but welcome to the Love Good Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, this is a pretty good alternative. We're, we're about 15, maybe 20 minutes from each other by car right now. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. You're in East Nashville. I'm in South Nashville, which is pretty good. It is. And, How, uh, how's the weather over there? Yeah, pretty rainy today, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting a little too used to that in Nashville these days. But but tell me, man, it's obviously been a wild couple of months. I think everybody's really feeling the, the the strain of this virus and of quarantine and of just the confusion of it all. Churches are closed. For for that matter, it's it's a little bit contradicting to feel like, okay, liquor is a bit more essential than even the Eucharist. You know, that's kind of the impression some of us get. And and yet there's so many beautiful things happening, silver linings everywhere. Before we dive into the new album and maybe even just catch up on a personal level, because it's not about 10, 12 years of friendship, I think that we've yeah. we've shared. I'd love to just hear how you're doing. How's your family? How are you guys holding up in quarantine? Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit Groundhog Day-ish at this point. And, and I don't mean Poxitani Phil, I mean the movie with Bill Murray, who's, you know, a guy who keeps waking up and it's the same day. So I think, you know, Fridays with school, our kids go to St. Joseph, it's Catholic school in Madison. So it's no screen Fridays. So it's the screen work is minimal. You know, their whole educational system changed overnight, not just theirs, the entire world's. So our kids went from screens being a privilege and a, like a treat that you got if you got all your chores done and, you know, like you... I mean, it, it was just such a minimal thing. And all of a sudden, it be the, the medium of entertainment became a portal to learn. And so I feel like that was one of the biggest hurdles that just for our kids, I think I, I watched them kind of have to like get past. I think now that we're into it, I think it's, you know, it's like it's 10 years this year that I've been married to my wife. And I'm, I'm really grateful. I, I feel like I knew that that was the smartest decision that I would that I made with my life, but these past two months I think have reminded me of of why that's the case because I think she's just my wife Kristen's just shown so much leadership in a beautiful way, like as a mom and just as a woman. It's been really incredible to see her balance all the things that are going on and and even just like continuing to. You know, she's trying to promote a book that she wrote. That, so that's weird. The, so the family dynamic thing is great because in the sense that the kids still had school, so there's some structure. It was really difficult in the sense that all of a sudden they're home and they're not in a classroom. So that's been a big, big hurdle to juggle. But, you know, we're managing we're doing, I think, I think we're, we're hanging in there. We're not killing each other. <laughs> we tried camping two nights ago, <laughs> which is a great and a horrible decision all at the same time. So it got like 40 degrees. So I mm. woke by, by three o'clock, everyone was gone except me and my daughter, Rowan, who had, wow. who had stolen my wife's sleeping bag. We toughed it out. So, but it's good. Well, you know, it's, yeah, like all the, all the same things that everyone else is dealing with and struggling with. But there's this one moment where after dinner, a couple of weeks ago, my wife looks at me and she's like, I just realized this is the closest our kids will have to an 80s childhood. Mm. In the sense of like, do your schoolwork and then, you know, maybe quiet time because our kids are still young enough to kind of have a couple hours quiet time in the afternoon and then go outside and play. Yeah. And we're very fortunate that the street that we're on and the way our house is even positioned in our lot there's enough space for kids to kind of run around a little bit. So that's been 
really, really helpful. I don't, I look, I think about parents in like big cities, like in an apartment and my heart goes out to them. And like, I've, like I've, I've prayed for people in those situations every day because I can imagine you start to get real stir crazy real quick. Yeah. I mean, imagine the 1500 square foot apartment in New York City right now. You know, it's funny. I I heard just about three weeks ago, someone talking about how even downtown Houston, though, has become Mayberry. Everybody's out and about. Obviously, there's some very real restrictions and social distancing in place. But but you're right. It's almost like we've gone back 30 or 40 years, culturally speaking, and life has become simpler. It's way more local. I know all my neighbors now. (laughs) Well, like my neighbor across the street, Jay, we already knew each other. Like our neighbor across this, like our neighbor's sort of around us to the left, to the right and across the street. Like we, we knew each other, but now we just see each other more. So, and yeah, even like one day, my son, my oldest, who's eight was riding his BMX bike and he ran into some kids who are the kids of like a buddy of mine. Who's actually, he's the manager for the band Ren Collective Mm. and they live around the corner. And so then all of a sudden they were riding on their bikes you know, like kind of like sort of around in the same thing. Like, you know, I was like, great. You're like an 80s pack of BMX bikers. This is amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. I have to ask too, was the backyard camping, was that a Mike Donahue inspiration? I hear he's been doing that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I, it's funny. Like, I feel like I haven't, anyone, anyone who's a friend who has little kids, we don't talk as much because I feel mm. like we're all just kind of like, on, but barely um, hanging in there. Yeah. yeah, With everything going. Yeah. Yeah. He's very inspirational to me. Like as a dad, like I love how present Mike is just in, like he really gets, he does a great job. I feel like of getting down into like eye level of his kids, like on a, Mm. on like an emotional spiritual level, he's just there and it's really, really cool. So yeah. Yeah. No, we, we did it. We tried it and it was a lot of fun. But we need to get our kids sleeping bags because uh, yeah. it got way too cold. Uh, I'm so curious. I mean, obviously, you grew up in the 80s. I-, I was born in the 80s. I have some memory of the wonder years and and life being a bit simpler than it is today. But as you kind of zoom out, you know, with five or six weeks now of experience in a world, not even post-coronavirus, in the midst of this shutdown, what are your big thoughts? What are your cultural reflections? What are you seeing and hoping, but also really lamenting in these times? Gosh, that's a big question. Okay. Um, <laughs> and just in terms of like trying to give like a concise answer, because I think I'm still processing it. I'll say that when this first all started, it was the it was the end of the first week of March. I got home on a Monday because I was on a tour and it canceled. And I got home and immediately I had this clear sense I was watching the news. And the thing was, I had been in Seattle on the way. I'd been on the West Coast the last week of January. I was at Disney World or Disneyland in California with my family in February. So my wife and I are like, we're like staring at each other going like, we were probably exposed to this. But (laughs) I got, we got home in March. I was on tour and I got home and immediately I had this sense that the tour was going to get canceled. And then what I really felt like God was saying to me was, look, as much as you can try to treat this like a retreat, there's stuff that I will say to you and there's stuff that I want to do in your heart right now that I, that wouldn't able to be done in any other time. 
And it was sort of the sense of like, if you can try to press into the moment and sort of allow the process of inner transformation, you know, which we call conversion, the process of stuff getting highlighted, light shining on dark corners, you going, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was there. And that's happening to everyone. I think whether or not people actually have the language to talk about it, that's what's happening. Like if you're listening to this and you're by yourself and at night you, or you find yourself getting irritated by things that normally didn't irritate you, that's actually a good thing. That's actually, I feel like that's probably the Holy Spirit like stirring you and illuminating you to the fact that there's, there's, there's something in that that needs to be further explored. So that's what, that was the biggest thing I felt like God was saying to me was like, don't worry about the whole world right now. You're not part of the president's like task force. So don't get obsessed with finding reading information all the time. So I really tried to disseminate my news to reading the paper. I read the New York times like in the morning and at the night and, and the Washington post don't watch the news. A lot of the TV cause Cause it's 24 hours. So most of it is just, it's, it's facts. And then a lot of like conjecture and opinion that's designed to keep you to watch it. It's not necessarily designed for like maximum, like just here's what's happening. Mm. So read the news in the morning, read it at night and try to, to just be attentive to the moment and, and not go crazy and so that's, I feel like what, what I'm going, that's what's been happening and it's not rosy and it's not perfect. And it's not, I, you know, it's not like all of a sudden, like my family and I, like we're like, everything is hunky dory. It's just, I think more so like there's this deep sense of awareness that God is doing things in, in me and in, in my life now. And all of this time will be redeemed. So that's, I feel like the first mm. thing for me personally. I think culturally, a lot of things that we've taken for granted are, are, I think that there's a massive cultural entitlement. And I think that it unfortunately has probably spread even into organized Western Christianity. Hmm. There's a lot of things that we've grown complacent about and things that we take for granted. Even the Eucharist as a Catholic, I think the majority of Catholics have really just taken it for granted for a long time. And there's a gift that happens like when you when you when you start reading uh, the mystics particularly saint john of the cross and you start mm -hmm. talking about a dark night of the soul and what that means and how he was like oh yeah there's been these moments where god will actually intense, intentionally withdraw himself mm -hmm. or allow himself to seem withdrawn to give you the distance where you can exercise whatever freedom you have in your will to relinquish it and say, God, I surrender. And that there's a point on the other side of that where you're able to look back and you go, wow, that was really a gift. Now that has nothing to do with a virus. It has nothing to do with people dying of respiratory illness. It has nothing to do with people being on ventilators. It has nothing to do with infrastructure. It has nothing to do with government spending or anything like that. And I think that's part of the problem is when we, we people start to conflate disaster with, oh, you mean God wanted all these people to get sick and die so that I could grow closer to him? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that that stuff is happening because we live in a broken world. In the midst of this brokenness, God is 
wanting to make his grace and his love more available than ever before to transform the hearts of everyone so that none of this is wasted. That, mm. that, that sort of the, the light of redemption touches it all, mm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. And so with Eucharist, I've helped tape a couple of school masses for our kids because my kids go to a Catholic school. And so there was like, you know, we're in this big church and there's four of us and, you know, we're all wearing masks. And before Holy Week, I, I really got hit with this kind of, I felt like this insight where Jesus was just talking to me about the longing of the soul and how much we long for stuff. But I never really considered his longing. Mm. So I think right now, even people who are longing for the Eucharist, you can quickly fall into a sense of entitlement or a sense of conspiracy. But there's this like middle road, which is the gift of meditating on Christ's longing to give himself to the church and not being able to. And knowing that like 2000 years ago, when we believe he instituted the Eucharist, he knew that this day would come. Mm. And yet he still gave himself. And, you know, what, what groom does that? What groom gives himself to his bride knowing that there's a day when they'll be separated mm. and, and that won't even be an option, you know? Mm. Nobody signs up for that, but our, Lord, <laughs> but our Lord did. So that, I think that's, that was a big consolation for me going into Holy Week. You know, on the other side of this, I have, I have no idea. I mean, I think... I really hope that things don't go back to normal, what normal was, because I think everyone was unhappy before this, mm. you know, for a large part. Like, I mean, and, and by everyone, I mean a lot of people in Western civilization, you know, people weren't really happy with their life. They were sort of complacent. And like I said, we, we take a lot for granted and... My hope is on the other side of this, that even something as simple as, you know, this is way down the road, but a handshake or a hug and, and you know, the power of what God could do with that and sort of restoring a hierarchy of intimacy for individuals, mm. I think is really, I mean, it's really beautiful in a way. And I would say like even the world, like nature looks prettier. I don't know. Like I keep saying that to, that to Kristen and I'm like, I don't know if it's all the rain in Nashville, but I'm, you know, and that's, we're sort of seeing all that. All these photos are coming out of like LA and there's no smog. Hmm. You know, the pictures after, you know, they sort of came in at, uh, parts of Italy. Like there's this like, like brilliance, like this stunning vibrance. So I think, you know, on a cultural level, I think that once again, there's the, the challenge for us always is how do we, you know, and, and love good, your goods in the title. How do you acknowledge the good? How do you recognize the good and affirm the good, affirm what's true, affirm what's beautiful? So, mm. so coming out of this, asking deep questions about, you know, who we are, who we're becoming and trying to trying to assume the good, like what's, what is God, what is the Lord accomplishing in this, in his goodness? Mm. And cause it's really easy right now, I think to give into an aura of suspicion and accusation 
And then next thing you know, we're just, we're, we spend all our time reading content on the internet and that, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I just think prayer, man, that's the thing that God keeps saying to me. It's like, spend time with your family and pray. And I think that if, if we could do that coming on the other side of this, maybe, you know, cause we've, we've had all these ideas about the new evangelizations, teaching people the art of living. Well, maybe this is, that's what this is right now is this is the mm-hmm. school. This is the crash course the refresher course. And what does it mean when we say living? Mm-hmm. And so maybe we're all, maybe, you know, maybe that's what God's trying to do right now is we're caught in the tension of this moment with this horrible virus and the strain on our healthcare system. But maybe God's trying to say, yeah, okay, that's all very true. And while that's happening and most of us can't control it, what we could control is the reorienting of our hearts mm. around things that, that, that really matter. Amen. I'll be back in just a moment with Matt Marr. What a great conversation. It's just getting started. It was clearly a longer conversation than normal, hence the episode length. And frankly, we only do that when we know that the content is so flipping good, we, we can't even handle it ourselves. Like we're just so privileged. I'm so privileged. Our patrons, all of us who are on the front lines of Love Good, feel so privileged to be on a journey with people like Matt Marr. And, and maybe you're aware of this because I hinted at it at the very beginning of this episode, but our patrons get full-length videos of our podcast episodes, front row access to our live streams, which happen right now weekly on Thursdays with me and monthly, typically on Saturdays with our artists. And with that front row seat comes Q&A access, comes forever access to all of our live streams that otherwise are only available to the public for usually a few days at a time. So it's a really amazing way to not only support the arts, to not only stand on the front lines of building a better culture right now, but also to get really premium, exciting, beautiful access to content that literally doesn't exist anywhere else. So if you're not yet a patron, today's a great day. Uh, At the very least, go to joinlovegood.com to explore all the different subscription levels and just know that we cannot thank all of our patrons out there enough for standing on the front lines with us, for helping us build a better culture and coming alongside incredible artists like Matt Marr and the many others that you hear in this podcast. Really, really beautiful stuff. And it's all made possible by our patrons. It's, it's beautiful to, to see this sacramental imagination unfold, Matt. You've got the virtue of hope alive, at least right now, in, in, in describing, you know, a world that can be made more beautiful, lives that can be led more intentionally, families that can be brought together in prayer. Like, I think it's really easy, as you said, to slip into isolation, suspicion, presumption. You know, we all did grow up at least if you're, you know, between the ages of 15 and and 50, we've grown up with so much. That entitlement is so real and suddenly it's all been stripped away. You're right. It's a, it's a crash course in, in, in prayer and asceticism and family life and even being committed to a place, what it really looks like to be stable. You know, it's almost like the whole world has been forced into a Benedictine spirituality, whether they like it or not, you know? Yeah, we, we all got cloistered. <laughs> and, uh, and and in some ways it's Nazareth, you know what I mean? Like mm. Jesus lived in a small village and with his family 
and learned everything about being about being human mm. in a small village. You know, Nazareth was like an artisan town, apparently, because it was close to this hippodrome where there would have been like a Roman, it's like a Roman vacation spot and there would have been actors there and like plays. And so as a, as the son of a carpenter, they probably made, you know, probably were hired to design stuff, make stuff for that town or sold stuff there. But I've been thinking a lot about Nazareth and trying to like, how do, how do we like coming out on the other side of this thing as the world sort of gradually reopens, how do we continue to sort of embody sort of a, a spirituality that's rooted more like, yeah, like in Nazareth. And I will say this, most of my material needs are met. And so therefore, when, when you're not worried about your food, it's like a big privilege, like that's taken, that's taken care of. You know what I mean? And I was very fortunate that for whatever reason, when I budgeted out this year, it wasn't based on a ton of touring. But I'm also in a city full of people who literally live gig to gig, paycheck to paycheck. And so that's something I'm really cognizant and aware of that I just, just to be able to say that, like, I think that if there's a way that we can continue to try to help make sure that basic needs for met are as many people it's really going to help our society in the long run and create space for people to have a semblance of hope. Because I think that's the thing, like if you start you start running out of like basic things like food, water, that could get real scary real quick, I think, for some people. And Absolutely. So that's one of the things that even like being in America right now and, and like looking at how other countries are like, they were already almost third world countries and now this hit and they're just teetering on, on chaos. So, so I think it's like with a sense of gratitude that you want to keep trying to push for finding ways in which the global community can come together to knock this thing out. And yeah, I think on the other side of it, I don't, I mean, we're going to have to look and figure this out because this is, there are certain challenges that it looks like that we can't, just handle completely isolated on our own. It turns out that there's actually none. We can, we could fully handle completely isolated on our own. Mm-hmm. So, which makes sense, you know? And so then I think the challenge moving out of this is how do we as Christians continue to advocate for a worldview that I think is rooted in the dignity of every person and every life and also I don't know, start to have, you know, bigger conversations. And it could be that when we're like, you know, there might be no more Tiger King episodes. So we might have to start asking bigger questions. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, I think, the, the the great miracle that comes out of suffering, out of poverty, out of any pain, is we do begin asking the big questions, the, yep. the, the things that have eternal significance. And part of what is so beautiful even in listening to your new album, knowing that it came out in parts over the course of several EPs, many of these songs, in fact, recorded first by other artists that you had you know, co-written and only now released as your own. It's amazing through the years to see that depth, to see the, the deep questions that come 
out of your own interior, out of your own joys and sorrows. And yeah. I, I would love, just as we're kind of coming to the end of this conversation to, to talk about Alive and Breathing, perhaps some of the songs that you hope are banners of of, of real perseverance and that virtue of hope for people in a time right now that does feel desperate, that does feel lonely, that does feel confusing. And yeah. I think that's that's the the power of, of beauty, but especially beauty that leads to prayer is it increases that capacity for hope. How do you keep that fire fueled yourself personally? And then what is this process of, of overflowing the hope in your heart into the songs that you write? I would say the first is definitely praying for and continuing to ask to have a childlike faith. Mm. I've had my own share of hardships and sorrows, but I think there's something about being around children that, and especially now as a dad, I don't think it's say, I wouldn't say it's reawakened or maybe, maybe I would. I mean, I've just always had a, like a, a childlike sense about who God is He's not, yeah, Jesus became a baby so I could hold him. But it's like holding a grain of sand and knowing the entire universe, the vastness of it lives in that grain. So I think a childlike faith in the sense of acknowledging my finiteness and God's infiniteness. So I, that part of being, part of having a, a childlike faith is just simply acknowledging the fact that you don't know everything. And so there's actually even moments where you can't say for certainty. And that's the, I would say the biggest challenge to hope, the thing that, that kills hope is, is certainty. And I think it's actually what kills faith. Wow. And, and by certainty, I don't mean... I mean certainty in yourself because that's what most people mistake certainty of faith for. Like they think, most people think that they have certainty of faith and really it's actually just pride. It's just another form of pride. And there's another thing to be abandoned to your understanding of something and actually just acknowledge that this, this thing is true whether or not I'll ever fully understand it or can get my hands around it. I know with every fiber of my being, it's true, but it's a, but I'm also staring at something that's a mystery. So I feel like that's really important. You know, this record, the songs on this record were born out of a really, like I look back and the new songs were born out of a really tumultuous year. I realized that every seven years, I tend to, my life has lived in seasons. I tend to kind of circle the wagons and kind of like take a, a bit of an inventory. And my songs have become a way of doing that. And they've become a way of me sort of remembering and re-entering into specific moments as I've lived life and go, oh yeah, I remember when God was doing this or I remember when this happened. I remember when we wrote this song. And this past year was really weird because we moved out of our house and remodeled it. And at the beginning of the year, the whole construction process got slowed down massively. My house got torn apart like in sections so that there was a point where 90% of my house was gone. And I remember this, it, that was like October of 2018. And I remember staring at it and thinking two things. I was like, I should have started a, like a reality TV show about this. <laughs> but number two, I was like, this is an allegory for the church right now, where it feels like the church is being 
taken apart. Mm. It was after Notre Dame Cathedral, I think it burned down. So I was just really feeling the weight of so much, gosh, for a better way to say it, so much deconstruction, you know, and that word's been such a buzzword, I think, amongst younger Christians for a while now. And so I think last year, in some ways, the first part of the year was me retaking a stock of, are, is, are there idols in my life? Is there stuff that I need to, to take apart? Because that's all basically when you hear people talk about deconstruction, essentially what it is, is the view that you had of God is wrong. It's actually not true. And you need to take that apart. And the pain in that is actually the pain of that idol dying. Mm. The problem happens is that for some people in the process of doing that, it becomes really difficult to go back into the same place that you came out of. And that part I've, I've grieved with and for a lot of friends over the past couple of years. And it's not just the institution of religion. It's the institution of marriage. I've watched crawl apart institutions of leadership. I think we've, one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that in every facet of society, our leaders have been exposed in some way, mm. shape or form. So those were all the conditions in which a lot of these new songs were written. And I feel like they're not, it's not like the songs are directly about that. It's more so that that's, that's what the songs kind of came out of, as well as me being a guy just watching his house get torn apart and watching God slowly, watching it slowly get rebuilt. And that's, I feel like in some ways, what this project was for me. And, you know, we released it in bundles because we didn't, we didn't have all the songs. We didn't have all the material. I was literally writing it as, as I went, which is really stressful <laughs> in an age of Instagram. It's not stressful if I, if I wasn't constantly updating the world, like, every other day with here's what's going on in my life. But now that's what, ha that's what happens. And so it, it, it was very, very disconcerting. I didn't like it, but the record really came into fruition. I think fully the end of November with the cover that got painted. And so they, the label decided to release it in bundles of live material and new songs. And in November, I, went to the art director and said, what if the, what if the cover was these four bundles, but not tiled together? Cause they were all stained glass images. And like, we were shooting for like, it was either going to be like the four elements. And then, it, and then I was like, well, well, actually, what if these are like all the different iterations of the Holy spirit? Mm. And that's what the record's about. Cause I literally it was October last year. If someone said, what's this album about? I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> and then literally it was that painting. And everything sort of came into view. And mm. uh, I was driving on Ellington Parkway in East Nashville and just started sobbing. And the, the cover is this sort of stained glass image of Moses leading the Israelites sort of into the Red Sea as they're about to kind of walk into their freedom. And so I think that's what these songs and that's what this project is about. It's about a journey into freedom. And I, I heard this amazing quote, which is really, it's been one of the things that I've carried is that, you know, God led the Israelites out of slavery, but then they spent 40 years wandering because they didn't know how to be free, which kind of brings me to now in a sense of like, that's, I feel like that's what it was, was that I feel like I got led out of an Egypt, if you will, mm. 
back into a place of freedom. And now I'm asking God, okay, show me how to be free. Because I don't even want to think that I know what that looks like. Such a humble <laughs> and, you know, as you hinted at earlier, trusting posture, like to, to not be certain of ourselves and to say, Lord, I, I long for this freedom. I know I'm made for it, but I need you to show me how to be free. Yeah. That is a heck of a prayer. <laughs> it, well, it, it it is because right now there's like, there's a, we're, we've never been more trapped and we've never been, we've never had more free agency at the same time. Mm. We've never been more isolated. We've never been more connected. You know what I mean? We've never been around so many people yet so alone. And we've never been, we've never had almost this much liberty yet feel this enslaved. That's right. And so to me, I'm like, that literally sounds like hell. Mm. It sounds like hell. That that old Lewis quote, you know, where he says, we must picture hell as a perfect state, as a state where, hold on, I got to pull it up. I'm, I'm going to butcher it. I almost, it's funny because I almost made Saints and Sinners based on this quote when I was writing the songs for Saints and Sinners. It said, we must picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance and where everyone lives with the deadly serious passions of envy, self-importance and resentment. Mm. And I was like, man, that sounds like Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but even that, like that's a judgment on my part. And I'm like, I'm cognizant of it. I'm aware of it. So it it's hard that I don't, I, I don't, it would be easy to go, oh, I'm going to, I'll take a photo of that and post it online. But then I'm posturing myself as like someone's moral arbiter. Mm. And once again, the, the whole point of my faith is that I'm, I, I abdicate that kind of authority. I don't have it. I'm just as broken as everyone else, but I do believe in the, in, in the sort of the benevolent loving authority of Jesus, mm. you know, and yeah. of his church. So yeah, teach me how to be free. It's amazing to think the parallels between how your house came back together, <laughs> how this album came together and how all of us have to hope as our culture, as our church, and as our world comes back together out of this crisis, that there'll be every reason for those tears of joy, maybe in months or years to come, right? That That's that last transcendental that no one talks about, truth, beauty, goodness, but unity. The, the one that brings it all together and that profound sense of, okay, God really is sovereign. God really did have a plan all along. He really was creating all these threads that then led to this, this symphony, this masterpiece that we could have never even imagined. And uh, I just want to say on behalf of all of our listeners and our patrons, just a massive thank you for continually witnessing to that, for, yeah, just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak those words of hope, especially in your music. Matt, it's always a pleasure. For those of you who haven't yet listened to Alive and Breathing, you are wrong. Okay, go to Spotify, Apple Music, stream the heck out of this album. It'll fuel your heart with so much hope, especially in these times. Follow Follow Matt on Instagram and everywhere social media is found. As always, Matt, it's been a real, real pleasure. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next time. Yeah. The years roll by. We wonder why. We lost our way from home. Our father finds the child inside.
Hope you all enjoyed being a part of this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Just such a joy to sit down with an old friend like Matt Marr and somebody that, frankly, 13 years ago, I was nervous out of my mind to meet in person. He was one of the first big name artists I ever had the, the privilege of working alongside. And to this day, he's somebody that inspires me deep, you know, on the level of my soul as much as anything else. And so thank you to all of our patrons who make these kind of conversations possible. Be assured of our continued prayers for you and your families and your intentions. We certainly cannot wait to see all of you Thursday night, 7 p.m. Central, Let Beauty Speak carries on in quarantine. This is your weekly retreat with me, and I incorporate a lot of incredible content from our artists, even from the podcast, and we'll really be honing in on this principle of prayer, going one step further and really getting practical as well on how, even in these crazy times, all of us can take our own prayer lives, our interior lives, to the next level, knowing that that's really at the heart of what it means to be human, at the heart of what it means to really understand our place in the world, that we are in fact created in the image of a God who is perfect love himself. Lots of exciting things to look forward to, including next week's guest on the podcast, who's going to be one of our featured artists in an upcoming package, actually the summer package that goes out to patrons, believe it or not, in only a couple of weeks. You guys are awesome. Hope you're having a really, really great week as best as you can be having given the circumstances. Please be in touch. Reach out on Instagram, reply to any one of our emails. Just know that we love getting to hear from you and stay in touch with you in between podcasts, in between live streams. It's what it's all about. Nothing but love and prayers from Nashville. We'll see you guys next week. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.